0: Some days, we find our lives filled with gloom, with darkness. We may think there is no hope, and those are just the Longhorn fans. (laughs) But truly in life, we find those days, we find those moments in life when we are filled with darkness and with gloom, And that's where we've seen Job, as we've been studying the book of Job. And and we seek answers. We want to know, why is this happening? And that's what Job has been wondering. That's what Job has been seeking to understand. And his search has been exasperated by his three friends and by the young man, Elihu, who, who have compounded things for him by saying, Job, you must be suffering because of sin in your life. You must be suffering because uh, we thought you were a good guy, but obviously you're not. Because everyone knows that you only suffer for wrong in your life. And because of that, Job has had to defend himself. He, he's had to argue that he has done nothing deserving of the suffering that he's enduring. And he's made a compelling case. Look, this is how I've lived. I've not done any of these evil things. And so in making his case, he's demanded that God give him an answer. Why am I suffering this way? God, here's my defense. Now answer my defense. And we've not heard anything from God. As Job seeks answers. But in the final four chapters... God does confront Job. And He confronts him in a very powerful way. And yet as we look at God's answer to Job, we really don't see an answer that might comfort Job. We don't see an answer that addresses things for Job. At least not when we look on a superficial level. But when we do see what God responds to Job, we see a response that first of all uh, tells Job, This is God's sovereignty. We see an answer that says God has an order to things. And so we look at God's answer and we find both of those answers and then we notice Job's response as he confronts God, or rather as God confronts Job. So let's begin by thinking about God's wisdom seen in the natural order and then notice God's sovereignty and God's power as displayed in creation. Notice, first of all, God's wisdom in the natural order. God begins with a quote of darkening counsel, reflecting on what Job has said. Job has demanded counsel. He has demanded, and he's using legal language uh, to say, God, I deserve my day in court. And so God answers in chapter 38, verse 1, who is this that darkens counsel? Notice chapter 38, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird your, up your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line in it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the seas with doors? When bursting forth it went out from the womb, when I made a cloud in its gar- garment, when I made a cloud its garment, in thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it. I set bolts and doors, and I said, Thus you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. And so God begins to question Job, and as you look at chapters 38 and 39, He demands Job to answer, to explain the natural order of things, or the order that you find in nature. If we could have a comprehensive study of these chapters, we would see that God asks Job's first of all to, to describe nature in terms of physics. Chapter 38 verses 4 through 11. He asks Job questions about meteorology. Chapter 38 verses 19 through 30. He asks Job matters of astronomy. Chapter 38 verses 31 through 33. He asks him jo- uh, questions about ecology. Chapter 38, verses 25 and 28. He asks him questions of biology. Chapter 38, verse 39 through chapter 39 and verse 18. In all of these things, God is demonstrating that God alone has understanding to define a natural order of things. Sometimes we hear people use the cliche and the phrase, well, God had a purpose. This happened for a reason. And sometimes that's not the case. Meaning that God isn't necessarily making someone suffer because He's out to get them. Sometimes we suffer because of other things. And yet God has an order to things. There's a natural order in the universe. There's a natural order in nature and what God is demonstrating to Job is Job you're suffering because there is an order to things and Job doesn't know this again as we've said many times in our study he doesn't know that the reason he's suffering is because Satan has come to God and said the only reason that Job trusts you the only reason Job follows you is because you've blessed him with all these things Job doesn't have that knowledge And yet God limits what Satan is able to do to Job. And thus protects Job. But Job doesn't see any of that. Job doesn't have that knowledge. That we have because the narrator of Job tells us those things. And so there's a natural order that Job doesn't see. That Job doesn't understand. Just like he doesn't understand the natural order in in how the world was created. He doesn't see the order in what's happening to him in the same way that he doesn't see the order of, of what happens with the way goats bring about their young, their offspring, their gestation. And so, as God asks Job all these things, and we look at these things, there are many of these questions that we could answer today the gestation of, of goats and that sort of thing that they didn't know in antiquity. But still, many of the questions that God asked Job still are things that people are studying and researching today and still don't understand. And so God is doing more than just showing Job that he's not capable or that he's inferior. Although those are certainly a piece of what God is saying here. God is demonstrating to Job, there are things you don't understand that there is an order to. And Job, what you're experiencing, you may not understand, but there is an order to it. There is a purpose to it. And that's why you're suffering, at least in part. Job, you can't understand these things, but I tell you there is a purpose for it. And so Job, like all of us, finds it perhaps frustrating that there are things we can't understand. And the answer isn't simply, well, you can't understand it, so just trust God. I think that's true. But that's different from the... Than what God is demonstrating to Job is different from the blind faith that sometimes we hear people talk about, or at least that some people outside of Christianity suggest that Christians do, and that is... Well, just say you can't understand it because God's ways are higher than your ways, and and just let it go at that. There are some people that use that as an as an excuse. It's deeper than that. God is explaining to Job, Job, there is a purpose here. There is an order to what's happening to you. And, And you can't grasp that. But I promise you, I'm in control. And I promise you that there is an order to it. And so Job is suffering and, and he's seeking for answers. And yet he's demanding things as if he is able to comprehend what God is doing. As if he's able to comprehend uh, God's thinking. As if he's able to comprehend uh, what God has done and what God is able to do. And the reality is Job you can't. You don't have the mental capability of doing it, but there is an order. There is a purpose to God's overall plan, to God's overall working within nature, within the cosmos, within physics, within biology, within all of these things. And Job, there's an order to what God is doing now and how God is working now. As we look at what God says to Job. Look at chapter 38, verse 25. One of the questions God asks Job is, Who has cleft a channel for the flood, or a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of the grass to sprout. God is asking Job, Job, if you were to ask any man alive, he would say, why waste your time creating a natural order that brings rain to the places of this earth where nobody lives? Why bother? And the answer is, Because that is my creation. I care about it. I am concerned for it. I take care of it. I satisfy its needs. I am a God who sees and cares. Even when there are others who would say, it's not worth it, there's no point to it, why even mess with it? Job, I see what's happening in your life. And yes, Job, as you have argued, there are wicked people that continue to live wickedly, and yet they continue to prosper, they continue to have my love because I care for my creation. And everyone else would say, Don't bother with them, don't worry about them, don't do anything with them because look how they live. But I still made them. They're still my creation. I'm still going to love them. And care for them. And so Job, when you say, only the wicked should suffer, because that's what you and your friends have been taught to believe all your lives. That's the tradition of mankind. You only suffer because you sin. And yet you say, why is it that there are still the wicked that prosper? They prosper in the same way that those desert places, those desolate places still receive rain, still receive blessing. They're still mine. And I'm still concerned for them. And I still care for them. As we look at these chapters... We see that Job is not condemned for asking why or even seeking answers. But the confrontation seems to have to do with Job's building confidence, growing arrogance in his own righteousness. And he's reminded that just because you don't understand doesn't mean that God is not just. Remember, as we've mentioned, Job is having to defend himself to his friends who have said, Job, you must have been just a dirty, rotten guy for all these things to happen to you. And he's had to defend himself and say, look, I'm not that bad. I haven't done all these things. I'm the guy that everyone has looked up to in our community. I'm the guy that people would come to at the city gate and and seek advice from me. I'm the guy that took care of all these widows and orphans. I'm the guy that, that even the old men in the community would hush their mouths because of how good I am and how wise I am. And God's reminding Job, you're not so wise as to be able to explain these things. You're not so good as to be able to require me to give you life. I do that because of who I am, not because of who you are. And so maybe there's a little bit in which God is rebuking Job because of his arrogance. Because because he's proud of his own righteousness. And so God's second answer begins with God confronting Job this time because Job would condemn God, almost, in order uh, to justify himself. Because he is having to defend himself. Notice chapter 40 and verse 8. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? So the crux of the matter as we come into chapter 40 and 41 is God saying to Job, Are you really going to condemn me? Now remember, the thanking of Job's three friends... The thinking of Elihu, the young foolish man, and even Job, as we've looked at some of his arguments, goes back to this idea that you only suffer for doing wrong. And so what Job has been having to do is demonstrate, I haven't done all these things. Therefore, God is punishing me unjustly. And really that's what Job has been having to argue. And so God is asking him as we come into chapter 40, Would you really condemn me, Job, as being unjust in what's happening to you in order to justify yourself? And so back up in chapter 40 and look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer. Even twice, and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or, Or have you an arm like God that you can thunder with a voice? Like he is. as Job is now confronted with God. Can you imagine what, what it must have been like for Job? Maybe thinking in the abstract, I wish I could have my day in court with God and I would write out all the things uh, that I've done right and I would display my innocence and display to God that He's making me suffer unjustly. And maybe in the back of your mind thinking, that day's never going to come. In fact, Job has articulated that day's never going to come. I, I don't know where to find God. To demand answers of Him. And then all of a sudden, our English text says a whirlwind. But all of a sudden, a tornado comes out of nowhere. And out of that tornado comes the voice of God. I I don't even know what I I would do. I, I can't imagine that. You know, the spring season comes along and we have storms coming and we watch that on the radar. You know, I start to get a little bit nervous. As those storms approach DFW... I can't imagine having an actual tornado just sitting there right in front of me and out of that tornado comes the voice of God. I'd be face down on the ground. It would not be a pretty sight. And so can you imagine Job and now God is speaking out of that tornado and he's saying, can you answer this? Job, can you answer this? And all of a sudden Job is realizing just how superior God is in His ability, His knowledge, His intellect, His capabilities, and God's righteousness. And so now God has confronted Job with the idea that there's an order to things, Job, and maybe you can't understand it, but it doesn't mean that there's not an order there. And then He says to Job, Okay, if you're going to find fault with me, are you really as just and as righteous as you think that you are can you really condemn me as being unjust or unjust just so that you can look good to your friends that's what god's asking job and job says you're right god there's no way i can even approach your holiness there's not even a way i can approach your righteousness there's not even a way i can approach Your knowledge and your ability, and so as we come down through chapter forty-one or chapter forty and forty-one, God suggests to Job these two creatures, the behemoth and the leviathan, and we really don't know what these are because the Hebrew word for that's being translated behemoth and the Hebrew word being translated for leviathan, we have no English word for them. And so, in years past, if you notice, you probably have a footnote in your Bible, that many believe that the behemoth refers to a hippo, and the leviathan refers to an alligator, a crocodile. But if you look at the descriptions of these two creatures that are given, they don't look anything like a, a hippo. They don't look anything like a crocodile. The behemoth is described as, as having a tail of cedar. Have you seen the hippopotamus? they got a little tiny tail. It doesn't scare anybody, even the flies. But the behemoth is described as having a tail like a cedar. The leviathan is described as having uh, an underbelly. That's like double male, double male like armor. The vulnerable part for a crocodile is his stomach. It's a soft part. And so there are some scholars who suggest that these are references to dinosaurs. Because even the King James was written before the first dinosaur fossils were discovered. So we had no English word to translate these out of Hebrew. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but what God's depicting depicting here are two creatures that were so fierce, so mighty, that men could not even confront them. And God's using these creatures as an analogy for human pride and arrogance. And God says, you can't control these creatures, whatever they were. And you can't control their pride. But I can. Because I made them. I can control them because of my power, because of my sovereignty. And so what God seems to be suggesting to Job is reminding him of his sovereignty and his ability. And reminding Job that he needs to get rid of the arrogance and the self-righteousness in his life. God is reminding Job of his justice and his power. Job is defending himself by saying, saying, Look how righteous and just I am. And certainly he is compared to the type of person his friends have now suggested that he is. But all of us have sin. Job had sin. He may not have lusted after young women, like he says, he had never lusted. He may have taken care of widows and orphans like he claims that he took care of them. But Job still had sin in his life somewhere. Even though we don't know what that was. And so he couldn't be completely blameless and sinless before God. Even though God says calls him blameless and upright, still he had some sin that separated him from God. Therefore he still needed God. He still needed God's grace. He couldn't get there on his own. And that's the pride and the arrogance that Job had. It's the pride and arrogance that sometimes we have. <coughs> that we forget, I still need God. I still need God's grace. I still need God's mercy. I still need God's love. And if I really condemn God's justice and God's righteousness, I'm in trouble. Because that's the only justice that can save me. Is God's justice that allows me to receive His grace and His mercy. And so as we look at what God says to Job, we don't find a satisfying answer from Job's perspective in the sense of God saying, Well, Job, here's what happened. Satan came to me one day and he he confronted me uh, by saying that the only reason uh, that you follow me is because I protect you and I bless you and all these things. Job never, as far as we know, Here's that answer. But the answer he has is Job, number one, understand that there is an order. In universe, in the universe, in nature, in everything I created, the implication is there's order here also. I don't just do things haphazardly. There's an order. Answer number two, Job, you're questioning, demanding that I give you a legal reason for why you're suffering the way that you are. And by doing that, you're saying that I'm causing you to suffer unjustly. And Job, you don't have the standing to ask me that. You're not as righteous as you think that you are. You still need me, Job. You can't get there without me. And because there is an order to things, Job, I am acting justly, even though you may not understand it. And grasp it. And sometimes we suffer not because God is punishing us, not necessarily because God is trying to get our attention, kind of a maintenance sort of discipline, or a proactive sort of discipline. Sometimes we suffer because of bad things that other people do, that impact our lives. Sometimes we suffer because Satan is trying to pull us away from God sometimes He does that by giving us good things. And sometimes He does that by giving us bad things. And that's why Job is suffering in this circumstance. But Job doesn't know that. But God says, Job, there's an order to things. And so, after Job has his confrontation with God, notice how Job responds. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He acknowledges that God has a purpose. Even though he may not understand what that purpose was, God had a purpose. We know that the purpose was demonstrating to Satan that Job would remain faithful to him even if he took away the good things in Job's life. Job's faithfulness wasn't based on God blessing Job. Our faithfulness to God shouldn't be based on God blessing us. Our faithfulness to God is based on who God is. His goodness, His love, His awesomeness. The fact that He's our Creator. That's why we're faithful to God. Verse 3, Job says, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared which I did not understand. He acknowledges. I didn't understand what was going on. Things too wonderful, me, wonderful for me, which I did not know. There are things I cannot grasp. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. God, I had faith in, in you before based on how I'd been taught in the past, but God, now I see your awesomeness and I am shaking in my knees. I see you for how awesome you are. And he says, verse 6, Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. He comes no longer in his arrogance and his self-righteousness demanding that God give him an answer in court, but instead coming in his humility. Saying, "I I take back those things that I said, God. I'm not going to demand an answer from you. I'm not going to sue you, God, for why I'm suffering. And I'm going to turn my life around in that sense and follow you. When we think about the sin in our life and the things we've done in our life and we want to know how we can get back into a right relationship with God, this is it. Coming to God with humility. Acknowledging His awesomeness, His holiness, His purity, His goodness. His goodness. And choosing to follow him that's repentance. that's submissiveness to God. That's an ugly word in today's culture. submissiveness, submitting to God. but that's what we need to do is follow God, be submissive to him. Notice what happens next, verse seven. It came about that after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timonite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Notice the integrity that Job still maintains, the blamelessness that God still provides to Job. Job's three friends were claiming that God was doing this to Job because of Job's sin. They were putting words in God's mouth. Job wasn't doing that. Now, Job was demanding answers of God. That's true, and that's why God has confronted Job. But he wasn't putting words in God's mouth like his two friends were. And Job has repented now and is following God, humbled himself before God. And so God tells Eliphaz, you're in trouble. If it weren't for my regard for Job. Notice what he says, verse 8. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him, so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. He tells them what they need to do to sacrifice, to get right with him, but he's not willing to take it from them. He's willing to take the sacrifice from Job on their behalf. He still has an opportunity for grace for them, but he's not willing to accept it from them. It has to come from Job. There's a powerful statement in there about how we need to avoid Put in words in God's mouth. God is so irate with these three friends for what they have claimed for God that He's not even going to take a sacrifice from them directly. They have to get it through Job. We need to be careful about the things that we say about God, the things that we speak on His behalf. We need to make sure that we're careful not to say more than God has said. We need to follow Scripture and follow it completely in the things that we say and not put words in God's mouth. Verse 9, So Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, And they consoled him, and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money, and each a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jimena, the second Keziah, and the third Kirian Hapuk. Those are good names for your next set of kids. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers, a first in antiquity. That the daughters got an inheritance. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. Did God reward Job for his faithfulness? Or did He reward Job out of his own love? Job was not faithful to God because God blessed him. He was faithful to God because of who God is. We need to be faithful to God, not because of what He has given us or what we expect out of God, but because of God's love, goodness, and purity. That needs to be the goal and aspiration in our lives. If you're here this morning and you need the prayers of the church or there's something going on in your life that you need encouragement for, Whatever your need, we encourage you to come. Just together we stand and sing.